Welcome to It Came From The Deep, a narrative podcast series based on the novel by best-selling author Maria Lewis. Chapter 10. Kaya dozed for a few hours, desperately needing to catch up on a bit of sleep before setting off towards Lake Palutz. She hadn't bothered to change clothes, so her date outfit was crinkled from where she had laid on it and her hair was thrown up in a messy bun. Pedalling through the darkness, she did not care a single iota. She was excited to see Amos, and when she threw her leg over the side of her bike, cruising to their meeting spot, she spotted a flash of his tail appear above the surface of the water. Dumping her bike on the ground, she slowly jogged to the edge of the lake and jumped in fully clothed. She didn't have to wait long until he appeared. His mouth was open as he was about to speak a greeting, but she cut him off. How did you learn about the world? He laughed. Questions straight away, huh? I think about them all day and then file them away in my mind until they're bubbling up. How did I learn about the world? Amos repeated, smiling. From father, mostly. He taught me with lessons, and then, when he couldn't, he would put on documentaries for me to watch. Like when he was away? Yeah, when he had more classes. He didn't want me to get bored or lonely, so he'd set them up and they played back to back. When he'd return, he'd ask me questions about what I watched, and he'd answer whatever questions I had to ask him. What about music, books, movies? Oh, Amos smiled, genuinely excited. Father loved movies. Every Saturday and Sunday night, he'd stay in and pick a different one. He'd never play the same film twice. He told me there was too much to watch. That intrigued Kaya. After all, what sort of movies did you program for a merman? Little Mermaid? Jaws? Splash? What kind? She was genuinely curious as she spun around, treading water while Amos moved around her in a circular motion. You mean, what's my favourite? Sure. That's easy. An affair to remember. But Some Like It Hot is very funny. The Maltese Falcon, Casablanca, Top Hat, The Man Who Knew Too Much. Have you seen anything from this century? He thought about it for a moment. Documentaries mainly. They were all modern, but Father liked classics. Or at least that's what he called them. Man, Kaya said. We need to catch you up on some new movies. That would be great. But how will you... As he trailed off, she realised the problem. I don't know, she said honestly. Leave it with me. If we can get rid of the beard and get you some decent food, then it can't be too hard to sort this out. He seemed to sense the second she was growing tired and he moved forward, offering his back. She took it gratefully and linked her arms around the top of his shoulders and loosely at the base of his neck. Thanks. Do you want to see something amazing? Amos, I'm clinging onto the back of a mer... an aquatic humanoid. Your definition of amazing may be a bit out of date. Without a full view of his face, she couldn't be certain, but Kaya thought he may have just rolled his eyes at her. Something more amazing. Sure, she said with caution. But remember, I'm not like you. I'm human. If you take me too deep, the pressure will make my brain explode. 
Kaya made an exploding gesture with her two hands while trying to do the same with her mouth to emphasise the point. Not stupid, Kaya, he said, trying to mock sounding hurt. Yet she could feel the slump of disappointment in his shoulders that implied a trip down into the depths of Lake Palutz was exactly what he had been planning. This is something else, something better. We need more room, though. In an instant, he changed direction and headed towards a far-off end of the lake. Kaya tightened her grip with the sudden increase in speed and relished the sensation of the water and night air ripping past her. A cool, metallic object brushed against her arm and she looked down to see Amos's chain and the keys attached to it. Are you ready? he asked. Sure, she smiled. You'll have to hold on very tight, as tight as you can. Don't worry, you can't hurt me. Kaya nodded solemnly. And you can't scream. Scream? She flinched, her levels of concern leaping upwards dramatically at that last comment. Why would I scream, Amos? Just promise. Okay, okay, Kaya whispered, tightening her grip. Here we go, he said, giving her one last look behind. Now hold your breath. She did as she was told, and with a forward jerk, they were shooting faster than she thought it was possible for any living creature to move. Her hair tie was whipped out of her bun almost instantly, and her locks stretched behind her as they sped beneath the water. There was a final lurch downwards, and another back skywards. Then they were shooting vertically from the depths of Lake Plutz and continuing up, up, up. In a rush of cool air, Kaya and Amos were suddenly no longer in the water, but soaring above it. Water fell from their bodies in droplets, and Kaya was certain the sight would have looked beautiful if anyone was watching. From her position, clinging to Amos's back, she looked down and all the breath sucked out of her lungs as she realised how high they were, and going down. Their downward arc was just beginning as they started to descend some 20 metres below. Don't scream, she thought to herself. Don't scream. Don't. With a rush of wetness and an exhilarating change in temperature, they had ended their fall back into the water. Amos brought them up slowly to the surface, where Kaya swam backwards and let out a shriek of elated laughter. Oh my God! Shh, he hushed, coming closer and pressing his hand over her mouth. He looked around at the homes far off at the edge of the lake, as if he expected lights to start flicking on at any minute. Oh my God, she whispered, wide-eyed. That was incredible! You went so fast. It was just, oh my God, we were so high. He beamed at her like a co-conspirator. Amos, how fast can you go? I don't know. I've never had the space to try anything like this before. That's been one of the few good points about being stuck here. The room to swim. How? Well, he started enthusiastically, Father said my structure is much like that of a dolphin, with one long vertebrae running the length of my body. Except mine is stronger than a dolphin's, which is pretty strong. But my spine is almost reinforced, so I can push harder, faster. Plus, I have these. He held up his hands in front of Kaya, with his fingers extended, just like a normal human hand. 
With a thwick sound, a layer of skin appeared between each of his fingers, linking them together. Kai joked back at the sudden shift. There are... seems... webbed, he said proudly, holding them up in front of his own face and examining them. Father theorised that I had hands like a human and an ape, opposable thumbs, so that it was possible for my kind to hunt and gather. So you could pry objects free and maybe even make weapons, she mused. Spears, or... Yes, precisely. I rarely use my arms when swimming because my tail is enough, but in times when I need acceleration, my webbed hands act as a way to increase speed. She examined his webbed fingers with her own and marvelled at the evolution. Amazing. I can also see better than you, he continued. Like, underwater. I mean, obviously. Kaya scoffed, laughing at herself. Yes, but in the darkness too. My nighttime doesn't look like yours. Neither does my day. She glanced up at him, her gaze focused on the unique colouring of his eyes that she had picked up before. Amos blinked, staring right back at her. Kaya, he said, his tone serious. Yesterday you asked what the last thing was that Father was working on before he died. Yeah, she said. If he was intentionally murdered, maybe it had something to do with that. Me, he said, his eyes burning into hers. He was working on me. He thought he had finally found a way to get me back to my people. Holy mackerel, she breathed, her mind trying to catch up to her racing thoughts. If Professor Waldman had discovered where the rest of Amos's kind were, or at least a way that he could get to them, he had officially discovered a whole new species. A discovery like that was momentous, a game-changer, and definitely something someone would kill for. Kaya's mind switched back to the current moment, as Amos's words rung out. Kaya, he died because of me. She could see the guilt and pain swimming in his eyes because she had seen the same thing in her own reflection so, so many times before. She knew how helpful the words, no, it's not your fault, were to her. That is to say, not at all. Amos? She started, trying to choose the next sentence carefully. When the professor decided to keep you all those years ago, he must have known the danger. He would have known there were people out there willing to kill for a discovery like you. He knew that, but he did it anyway. He kept searching. I don't. He loved you, she said with urgency. It's obvious. Riding through the streets of the lakes an hour later, Kaya's thoughts were preoccupied with darker, and deeper ones than previous nights. What she'd said was true. It was clear Professor Waldman had loved Amos enough to risk everything. The aquatic humanoid became his life's work and reuniting Amos with his family was the last thing he was trying to do before he died. And ultimately, it cost him his life. Kaya had made it through high school by the skin of her teeth. Her education was good, but no way near the level of people whose world she was suddenly mixing in. She felt the stakes were high, getting higher, and she wondered if she could keep her head above the water. The idea came to Kaya in the middle of her first ski training session since the attack. 
She was back with the regular squad, but on the doctor's orders and her dad's. She was only doing two sessions a day. Part of that was to chart her physical and emotional recovery properly before she returned full throttle. The other part, which no one wanted to talk about, was that fewer sessions made it easier to protect her in case there were any more attacks. Although she knew the Tyler brothers were responsible and now dead, the police didn't. The two most likely suspects were AWOL and Chris was being closely monitored. She hadn't caught him in the act, but she knew her father had been talking with Sergeant Ferris. The very idea of them coming up with a joint plan amused her as she couldn't imagine KC and the police officer texting back and forth. Would they use emojis like her and Cabby? There were a few variations on the police emoji, so she figured they might. Regardless, Kaya had a sneaking suspicion there was some collusion going on between not just Sergeant Ferris and her dad, but also Storm, Cabby and her coaches like BB. Everyone had been briefed and was keeping an eye out for anything unusual. That's why she had her own personal Craig escort to every session. Storm and KC were teaming up. They would either hang out at the surf club, chatting with the locals, or chill in the car. She had moaned about it to Cabby, who had responded by saying it was actually a smart idea. That's what made Kaya think that she was in on it too. That and the fact Cabby stuck close to her throughout most of the session. I'm just glad you're back at training, she said, as they dragged their surf skis to the water's edge. It's a sausage fest here as it is. That's the whole sport. Kai replied, while Cabby snorted in agreement. Although she usually kept herself at ski training and didn't have much to add to the conversation, Kaya enjoyed Cabby's casual asides that she muttered under her breath. The session had been progressing as it usually did, with the squad pushing past the back break in three-minute bursts of speed. The wash of two guys in front of Kaya had created a generous channel and she was letting it drag her along when she had a light bulb moment. It caused her to do something she never did. Stop paddling. It had come on so abruptly that Kaya paused just as she had her paddle in the air and was ready to spear the water. She didn't even realise she had stopped until the stragglers came flying past her. Kaya, what are you doing? Cabby shouted. She shook her head slightly, blinking the salt water out of her eyes before throwing herself back into motion and accelerating towards the tail of the pack. Some 45 minutes later, on their way back to the house, Kaya asked Storm a question she was sure he would react strongly to. Storm, can you pull over in that car park? What car park? The one at the end of that path. He knew exactly the one she had been talking about because, naturally, he knew exactly what road they were driving along. You want me to stop at Lake Palutz? Yes, for a moment. Kaya, what the... Please, Storm, I need to do this. All right. Begrudgingly, he pulled off the main street and down the gravel path that led to the main car park of Lake Palutz. She jumped out of the car before it had even stopped and threw her dry clothes on the bonnet. Sprinting down the path towards the lake edge, she yelled over her shoulder. I just need to swim to the other side. As she leapt off and into a deep portion of water, she knew Storm would be following her to make sure she didn't start quacking like a duck or behaving in another crazy manner. Kaya started swimming towards the side of the lake 
that slightly curved around a bend and would be hidden from Storm's view, hoping Amos would be drawn out by the excitement of someone swimming in his lake. She kept her stroke at a solid pace as she looked for the telltale signs that he was following her. Sure enough, she saw a streak of silver flash past her five, six times before his grinning face slowed down enough for Kaya to catch a proper glimpse of it. Beaming back, she increased her pace until she was in the exact spot and stopped abruptly. It took a few moments for him to realise what she was doing and surface beside her, a cautious look on his face. You look like part of the water in that black bathing suit, he said quietly. There's no time for that, she said, leaping forward and grabbing his shoulders. He looked around nervously, as if searching for a spectator. If anyone's watching from within a house, it would just look like two people swimming. They can't see your tail. My brother's on the other side, but he can't see us around the bend. Quickly, we don't have long. For what? Amos, I think your father hid whatever those keys open in here. Where? In here, in Lake Palatz. Kaya could see the cogs in his brain ticking over as he tried to rationalise her theory. Think about it, she continued. Why else would your father give the keys to you? He's not going to give you keys to a safe inside some bank when you can't physically get there yourself. That would be pointless. He assumed you would be alone, so the keys must open something you can get to. Perhaps only you. His mouth popped open with realisation. The riddles. The games we used to play. The camouflage, she finished. He swam around Kaya in one quick movement, his mind clearly still working through the possibilities. You think he's hidden it here, whatever it is, and disguised it as something else? Amos, I'm almost certain he has. What do you think is in there? That's something she didn't have an answer for, no matter how many times she had spun the idea around in her mind. Honestly, I don't know, it could be anything. Amos looked thoughtful as he glanced down at the keys hanging around his neck, his fingers running along the length of the chain. Father said this was the key to everything, right? Right, Kaya agreed. Maybe everything meant finding a way to get back to my people. Maybe, she breathed. That makes sense, doesn't it? He gave me the keys the night he was killed by people who were looking for something. I assume what they were looking for was me, but maybe that's just part of it. Maybe they needed whatever this unlocks as well. She could see just from the outset that his brain was racing, replaying that final night and every moment back inside his head. Kaya felt two things simultaneously. Hope, largely hope that Amos was right and everything he needed to get back home was at his fingertips. Selfishly, she also felt a pang of regret. If he was right, that meant he'd be leaving. She'd only just discovered him, and in the few weeks they had spent together, she already knew that she would deeply feel his absence. Listen, she said, pushing her emotions aside. I have to go. Okay, he said, jerking back to the present. I'll have found it by tonight. That's ambitious, Kaya smiled as she backstroked. It won't be easy to find, Amos agreed. Father was a clever man, and he had to cater for the possibility of someone else discovering where he had hidden it before I did. Divers, those men, whoever. You've got this, 
she replied, before hurling herself into swimming and heading straight for the shore. She even got a sneaky toe from Amos, which accelerated her already significant pace. When she made it back to the path, she looked up to find the toes of her brother angrily wiggling as they hung over the edge. His arms were crossed and he was furious. He was also waiting with the towel, so Kaya took his spiky mood with a grain of salt. Kaya, what the hell do you think you're doing coming here? This is where you were attacked, nearly killed. You saw a man get pulled under the water and never come back up. Why the hell did you just dive in there? I needed to see if I could make it to the other side without getting eaten, she replied matter-of-factly. It had been true enough statement when she had first dived into the water and met Amos. Storm's mouth opened and shut with shock as she trotted up the concrete stairs and grabbed the towel from his hands. Kaya buried her face in it and peeked out only to measure his expression. Well? He managed to strangle out, watching her carefully. Fine, she said, extending her limbs in an exaggerated act of inspection. Mind you, I wouldn't want to try that at midnight. A strangled laugh from Storm was her only reply. She couldn't be certain, but she was almost sure she heard Amos's as well. Kaya? An uncertain voice attached to an even more uncertain face was sticking out of a doorway and staring in her direction. Yes? Oh, hi. Pulling herself away from the thousands of thoughts occupying her mind, she thrust her hand out in a dorky greeting. Travis, nice to see you again. You too he said, shaking her hand, but then doubling down by giving her a kiss on the cheek. I'm glad you decided to come by. Figured it would be a shame not to take you up on the offer. Sorry I had to leave you out here waiting so long. Scuttle, one of the star dolphins, is under the weather. They wanted me to have a quick look. Star dolphin, what a title, she smiled. You're telling me, he replied, gesturing at her to follow him past the reception desk, where she had been waiting and down a long white hallway. And just quietly, Scuttle acts completely like a star too. Dolphin groupies? He laughed. Groupies, a rider, caviar, the whole thing. And here, this is for you. Kaya glanced down at the plastic lanyard he handed her, which had her name and photo printed clearly on one side and a barcode on the other. It's a temporary security pass, so you don't get turned into chum or anything. And here I was, thinking those rumours about SeaWorld were untrue, she joked. Thank you for this. You're welcome. You should keep it for next time you come back. I'll do that, she said, smiling at the implication she'd be returning for more visits. And where did you get this pic of me? Google, he shrugged. The pair came to a stop at the end of the hall, where the name Dr T. Tishop adorned the door they were about to pass through. This is my office he said, casually pointing to the label. It's basically base camp because we bounce around between specific research labs, different tanks or areas of the park that need... Oh my God, it's her! Travis was cut off as an enthusiastic woman in a lab coat burst out of the door and joined them in the hall. She had hair so grey it looked almost silver, with strands breaking loose of her bun and jutting out at odd angles. When Travis said you were coming in today, I did not believe him. Kaya glanced behind herself just to check the woman was speaking to her and not someone else. Uh, Kaya, 
This is my colleague, Dr Sophie Chu, Travis said, looking mildly embarrassed. She's a bit of a surf sports nut. My niece does nippers at Point Burley. She's in under-13s and I've taken her to see your races a few times. Your surf skills are incredible. Are you sure your father's not part dolphin? The woman let out a breathy laugh at her own joke while Kaya blushed, suddenly very aware of an almost part dolphin that she knew personally. I think if Dad could have it his way, he probably would be. I bet, the woman grinned, silence hanging between the three of them for a moment longer than was comfortable. Right, well, sorry to fangirl all over the place. Just wanted to say hi. My niece is going to be in hysterics. That's very sweet of you, Kaya said. Travis has my number. He can pass it on to you, and if your niece ever wants to come out for a body surf, I'd be happy to take her. She beamed. Oh, my God. That would be amazing. Ah, I'm sorry. I'll leave you two to it, but I'm going to call her right now. Kaya laughed. Nice meeting you. Bye-bye, she said, waving enthusiastically as she rushed from the room. Travis gave Kaya a look. Well, take that, star dolphin. (laughs) I've never had that happen before. Sophie's absolutely crazy about that stuff. Her whole family are into it. We share an office between the two of us as we have similar lines of work. He pushed the blue door open and guided Kaya into the space. As she stepped inside, it felt as if she had been immersed in an underwater universe. One wall was decorated with what looked like a tropical reef mural painted by schoolchildren, with several desks pressed against it and covered in mountains of paper. The mess extended outwards in the space until almost precisely the halfway mark. From there, across to the other side, the room was pristine and white. IKEA appeared to have branding rights with modern and polished furniture housing a plethora of books and papers in an orderly fashion. Kaya's head swivelled from one side of the office to the other. She didn't even need to ask the question. I'm a bit of a neat freak, he shrugged. Me too. I have a few hours to myself, he said, landing in a chair. Whatever it is you want to see, just name it and we're off. Sharks, dolphins, starfish, the works. I'm your personal tour guide. Actually, she said, moving a pile of papers off a chair so she could sit down, what I wanted to talk to you about was Professor Victor Waldman. Travis had been rhythmically bouncing backwards on his chair when he came to a stop. What? Professor Waldman, you went to Hodgkin's, yeah? You must have run into him. I... I mean, sure. I was one of the last graduating classes he taught before he stopped teaching altogether and just focused on research. Spinning around in his chair, he began rifling through a series of papers that were kept neatly together in a manila folder. Here, he said, handing Kaya an article cut out of the Gold Coast Bulletin from several months earlier. This tells you everything you need to know. The article was dated a few weeks after the professor's death and was a full-page story on his funeral. His gruesome, unsolved murder had warranted proper coverage, with various snaps from inside the service and of guests leaving the church. Travis was one of them, Kaya noted, pictured looking away from the camera in a colour headshot. She read the article slowly, the reporter summing up what had been said during the service 
and who was there. Travis wasn't the only former student in attendance. There was a girl credited as being mentored by Professor Waldman, who was quoted in the story. I think there's few who can say they truly knew Professor Victor Waldman personally, but what he did professionally is what people are here to celebrate, she'd said. Everyone came together to commemorate the life of a true scientific visionary, a man who felt the significance of every marine animal, whether that be a mollusk or a blue whale. Kai's eyes moved down the page to a grainy image that was captioned as having been taken from security footage. It showed two men in matching floral shirts standing side by side, their faces concealed behind white plastic masks. The image was in colour, yet it didn't help add any detail to the photo besides the offensive orange shade of their clothing. That's the two men who killed him, Travis said, following the path of her eyes on the page. It's the clearest photo they have, but no one has come forth and identified them. She looked up at him, intrigued. You went to his funeral? It was mostly former students there, he nodded. Actually, quite a lot of people who worked at SeaWorld came up under him at Hodgkin's. Sophie too. What was he like? He was a good teacher. Not dead poet society level or anything, but you could see he was passionate about the work. If you wanted to really be in his class, you could get a lot out of it. You sound like a fan. Of his work? Definitely. He seemed to hesitate about what he said next, leaning back and taking a sip from a mug that was sitting on his desk. You're full of surprises, you know. First I think we're going on a date, then you spend an hour grilling me on marine science. Now I think you're coming here to follow up on all those questions you asked by checking out the animals. But really, what you want to know about is Professor Victor Waldman. Truthfully, Kai had thought about skipping Travis altogether. She had first thought of going directly to Hodgkin's university, but decided against it. It was the only place he had worked in his lifetime and the only place he had done his primary research. Professor Waldman's name was synonymous with Hodgkin's, and if it was his work that had got him killed, then she was betting they had found him through the university. Put simply, she didn't know who could be trusted. What if the university itself had something to do with his death? In a bid to find out more about Professor Waldman and his research, she needed to find someone who knew him and could explain his work to her. Travis was a long shot, but the fact he mentioned going to Hodgkin's and studying in the exact same field the professor was famous in was too good an opportunity to pass up. I know it's weird, she started. It's not weird. There are scientists all over the world who want to know about him. He's an enigma. What's weird is that you want to know about him. You're an iron woman who seemingly had no interest in this stuff before. Why do you care now? I... I met someone, she admitted. He was the professor's nephew. Nephew? I didn't even know he had family. Mind you, there were a lot of people at the funeral, including city councillors, so it's not a surprise I missed him. He's a pretty private guy, she said, feeling relief as Travis nodded and indicated that he bought what she was selling him. What's his name? Amos? With the case still open, it has given him a lot of pain, for some reason, he thinks trying to sort through the professor's work will help him. I kind of promised that I'd help too. He doesn't want to come in and meet me himself. I'm sure he will, Kaya said, if you're okay with that. Sure, anything to help. Thank you. 
I know this is all kind of weird, but I've been reading up on the professor's work or what I could find of it online, and I'm conscious of how far out of my depth I am. I want to help Amos, but there's questions neither of us can answer. And you think I can? Cabby said you were one of the best in your field. Hmm. She did, huh? The best, Kai emphasised. Okay, he said. How about we go for a walk around the park and you can pick my brain? I need to get out of here and stretch my legs anyway. She followed Travis from his office and down the hall, where he swiped them through a series of security gates. It wasn't long before she walked through a final door and out into the park itself. Even for a weekday in early September, the place was packed. Families wearing dorky dolphin hats rushed by. Kids pointed excitedly at a bride far off in the distance while a toddler awkwardly carried a crocodile toy at least twice her height. It was a sunny day, not too hot, but in the mid-twenties, so a singlet top or a loose shirt was comfortable. I remember watching the water ski show here as a kid, she said, gesturing to the large body of water off to their left that sat in front of stadium seating. Yeah, it still happens, every day at 3pm. Ice cream? she asked, drawing to a stop in front of a confectionery stall. Sure, he shrugged. Boysenberry if they have it. Kaya bought them each a cone, mint choc chip for her, and they continued their stroll. So, Travis started, swallowing a mouthful. What parts of his work were you interested in? Biodiversity, marine biology, conservation, wildlife management, extinction, climate change, invasive species... Those were his specialities. She did her best not to choke on a chocolate chip at the influx of scientific terms just thrown her way and think about what areas could be useful. Extinction, she blurted, her mind snagging on a field that screamed of Amos. Full of surprises, he muttered. What? Never mind. I thought you'd be more interested in his conservation work. That's what he won the prizes for. The Notre Dame Acknowledgement, the Griffith Award. I'm more keen on what he was doing with marine species, wildlife management and extinction, that kind of things. Funny, he smirked. Those are the aspects of his research that I find fascinating too, especially the more recent stuff. Do you know what he was working on before he was... murdered? She nodded. No, Victor was always very private with his work, like his family, I guess. The only time you ever saw it was when he was done. He hardly ever worked at the university itself anymore. Mostly he operated out of his home. I never heard of anyone who got inside to see his lab set up. It made sense, Kaya thought. Any breakthroughs that resulted from studying Amos would have had to be kept quiet or he would risk exposing him. To be honest, he was kind of an unusual guy. One of the mentors for my PhD worked with him a lot in the 90s and said he was pretty paranoid. About what? Life in general, I think. I could count the number of times he sent me an email on one hand, said he rarely trusted it unless he was desperate. That does sound paranoid. Maybe, he said, pointing towards a path that led to the turtle enclosure. Actually, I think I have the last one he sent me saved in my inbox. He pulled out his phone and fiddled with it for a moment. It was a regular model, but it had a special casing around it that Kai recognised as being waterproof, probably essential for a marine biologist. Yeah, 
Here it is. At the end of last year, Victor sent me a message, just out of the blue. Had you been in contact? Not really. I saw him at an alumni dinner once, but I think it was because we crossed paths here a few weeks before that he sent me the email. I honestly don't think he remembered me from class, but he seemed interested that I was working here. What was he doing at SeaWorld? He'd been asked to consult on a type of jellyfish a fisherman caught in the seaway. It wasn't a big deal. But then he emailed me this paper he had just published and asked what I thought of it. Kaya took Travis's phone when he held it out to her, looking at the document there. The migration movements of humpback whales in a marine environment affected by climate change, she read. That's a mouthful. With a particular focus on the east coast of Australia, he added. She began flicking through the PDF, which included maps of the Australian east coast and various arrows outlining the paths humpback whales took annually as they moved to warmer waters. Victor had never taken more than a passing interest in the migration movements of any species before, at least in the published work of his that I could find, he said. At some point towards the end of his life, that changed. What he was working on, or how he envisioned this research being used, I'm not sure. There's nothing particularly groundbreaking here, mainly a very comprehensive look at migration paths over the past 20 years. Kaya raised her head with interest. That seems like a very specific figure. He shrugged. I guess, but I gathered there was a reason he decided on that number as a point of origin. Some working that wasn't included in these documents. It wasn't excluded calculations, she thought. It was Amos's age. She didn't quite understand how, but she felt in her bones that Professor Victor Waldman's final research had something to do with his creature from the deep. Can I email this to myself? She asked. Sure, he replied, watching as a group of kids ran excitedly around an enclosure that held various species of sea turtle. Some of the turtles were tiny, Kaya noted while others were so large she almost mistook one for a mossy rock as it sat there dormant. Do you ever think it's cruel? she asked, her fingers running along the glass. Keeping animals here in captivity like this? Some of them, no. We're not like our US counterparts. This is mostly a rehabilitate and release facility. We also do a lot of work trying to improve local marine habitats. The turtles and seals and rays and seabirds I don't think that's cruel. The smarter animals, like the dolphins. What about the polar bears? She asked. If their habitat is shrinking, they're endangered. Is it kindness or cruelty to have them here? Travis sighed, his hands slipping into his pockets. Honestly, I don't know if there's an answer for that. Not an easy one. Kaya's gaze turned back to the turtles as she watched them dip below the surface an inch towards the treats at the bottom. They looked happy, but how could she really tell? If she knew they could be happier elsewhere, could she keep them there? Or was she big enough to know when to let them go? This chapter of It Came From The Deep was read by Sophie Parr and produced by Adam Boys at Thaumaturgy Post-Production Services. It Came From The Deep is the third novel from Maria Lewis and available physically from all good bookstores and library as well as online. It's also part of her Aurealis award-winning Supernatural Sister series which includes Who's Afraid, Who's Afraid 2, Who's Still Afraid, The Witch Who Caught a Death 
The Wailing Woman, The Rose Daughter, and more. This is the narrative podcast series with new chapters releasing every week and bonus episodes dropping in between with author Maria Lewis and myself, Blake Howard, breaking down the plot, inspirations, and writing process. It Came From the Deep is part of One Heat Minute Productions. <laughs>